Hi, this is Dan Williams, and you're listening to the Pocket Mentors Podcast. This is a show that could not have been created without the help of all my amazing guests. They range from brand builders to therapists, from co-founders and founders to motivational speakers, from business mentors to managing directors and CEOs running their own businesses at this time. The one thing they've all got in common is that they're all facing their own challenges. They're going through the same ups and downs that you're about to experience. So they talk about their highs and lows, the journeys that have got them from A to Z, and how they've overcome all these incredible obstacles, and they've become resilient and come out stronger. They really want to share their stories with you to help you, whether or not you're creating your own business, your own brand, or if you're currently in your own business and you're facing your own challenges at this moment in time. I really believe that this podcast can help you no matter where you currently are with your life. So sit back, get on your bike, plug in your headphones, go on your run, start your cooking, whatever it is you're about to do by listening to this podcast and enjoy. So today I'd like to welcome on John Hatalka, a former optician, a corporate magician and now an award-winning motivational speaker. So it should be fascinating. So thanks for coming on, John. Thank you for inviting me on, Dan. It's a, really it's a pleasure. It. I'm honoured and I'm flattered. <laughs> I know. As it's lockdown, I'm just delighted to be speaking to anybody. <laughs> I think I said it's really opportunistic doing this at this time. Everyone's more yeah. than willing to come on and have a chat with me, which is ace. So um, if you could just um, give everyone a bit of a sense of who you are and just start from the beginning, really, and how you've ended up here. And then I just like listening and... Chatting. It all started in Bradford when I was born because I wanted to be near my mother at the time. How far, <laughs> back, are we, how far back are we going? <laughs> right, so oh, if you want. No, no. Oh, that's all right. Okay, a little bit of background as far as me. So, uh, because I think that will put things into perspective as to why and how I had the challenges that I had. Because uh, I found that, uh, okay, my, my job today my, is as a speaker and I go on... <laughs> The reason why I'm laughing is, is that I deliver keynote speeches, but guess what? We're in lockdown. I don't deliver speech. I won't yeah. be delivering speeches for a while. Um, but if I go through the story, uh, most people kind of identify with me because I'm just an ordinary guy. And the only battle that I've had has been with myself yeah. and what's gone on in my head rather than any massive battle as far as any big adversity or anything like that. Um, so for me, my, my background is that my parents were, were immigrants. My father was Polish. My mum was Italian. Okay. And uh, I started off uh, life in a, in a council house in Bradford. In fact, uh, when, I was, when I was born, um, in fact, shortly after I was born, we moved into a council house in Bradford. We didn't have a lot of money. We had to borrow coal to, put, uh, to get warm, to put on the fire. Uh, there was what? no central heating. The loo was outside the house in a shed. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't a good start to begin with. Um, yeah. But as I said, they, they, were, they were foreigners. Um, my mum was telling that my dad was Polish. And we always had this sort of, um, I think this belief kind of was passed on to me because we tend to find that our, a lot of our beliefs are passed on to our parents, uh, yeah. passed on from our parents to us. Whether they are correct or not is another thing. Yeah, yeah, at least definitely. they try to protect you and say, look out, watch out for such and so. And they, they, um, uh, they, they put their beliefs onto you. Uh, and the belief for me, for them was, we are foreigners. We are in this country. We are guests in this country, even okay. though they were living here. 
Therefore, do not rock the boat. Appease everybody. Just kind of make sure that everything's, you know, nobody's upset about you because if we rock the boat, then we might get thrown out or something. Yeah. This country was never like that. But having said that, that was the kind of mentality. And my parents, I have to say, um, they were loving. I, I couldn't have, there is a theory that we choose our parents. Some people in the spiritual world where you would choose your parents. If I did choose my parents, I chose really, really well. We didn't have a lot of money, but I had a lot of love. They looked after me. Yeah. And um, anyway, so they, um, we didn't have a lot of money, but they, they made sure that I had my education. I went into, to, okay, I did my O-levels. I went into, uh, into the sixth form. Uh, and then I went to Bradford College to learn how to become a dispensing optician. Okay. Because that's what I thought I wanted to be, a dispensing optician. Where and did I that come be- from? It was, okay, the careers teacher says, what are you going to do when you leave school, John? I don't know, sir. You better yeah. find out. And the, the, the idea came from my parents and my father. Yeah. Okay. Because my father was a, uh, an engineer, a laborer. Yeah. There was heavy lifting work. And for his son, he did not want his son to do any heavy lifting work. Okay. Because he did a lot of heavy lifting work, he had pains in his back, um, he had a slipped disc, he had a lot of suffering. So he wanted me to have a, an easy job, i.e. pushing a pen, a, de- a desk job. Yeah. Little did he know that that could be harder yeah. <laughs> than physically. It's, it's just different, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Physically a lot easier, but mentally, anyway. So the idea was to become an optician, and I, and I, and I did really well, and I became, I became a qualified optician. And um, while I was an optician, in fact, while I was studying to be an optician, I decided that I wanted to, um, uh, I decided, I I thought, I'll take up magic. And the reason why I took up magic, because I thought I'll learn how to do a couple of tricks. And the reason why I thought I'd do magic is because I thought it was a way, I don't know if I dare admit this, it was a way of meeting girls. And I can tell you, I've heard a lot of magicians actually say that that's why they started off because it helped them um, like break the ice and start actually having chats with people. Yeah, the thing is, for me, it didn't work. <laughs> what the magic or the, yeah, the magic <laughs> I just didn't magic. get anywhere with the girls. This is it. I've got pick a card, go away. Who do you think you are? Just... Yeah, there is a fine line between impressive and creepy, I guess. Yeah, it? I think it is. I don't know what happened, but it didn't work. But I found a, <laughs> I found something that I was passionate about that I really that I really liked. Yeah. So I started studying magic and, uh, and for me, the magic side of things was because I was also quite a shy boy. Yeah. Um, it was a way of uh, creativity, self-expression, but also at the time it was a way of me th- thinking I was superior to everybody else. Right. Not superior, but I kind of had the upper hand. Why? Because I know the secret you don't. Yeah. Okay. Now that makes sense. Right. And a lot of magicians come from that uh, from that viewpoint. Certainly, when they begin doing magic. Um, but this was one of the biggest lessons that I learned because I joined the magic circle, and this is a oh, lesson. Okay. That... When you join the magic, so are you sworn to secrecy on certain tricks? Then yes, we can't give anything away at all. It's, so what, I tell you what, if you ever see, your face, but what about these if people? If you ever go to a football break? match between Masons and magicians, nobody will tell you the score. That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm no. joking. 
What about these? What about these people? Because um, keep secrets, apparently. But anyway, they do the, the reveals of magic tricks and the like. So that's completely frowned upon. Yeah, right. Okay. So because the reason why they don't want to give away the secrets is because part of the fun is being fooled. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's the mystery part of it. But the lesson that I learned when I joined the Magic Circle, remember I said it was all about me feeling superior. Yeah. If you really want to connect with an audience, it's about serving the audience. Yep. It's not about serving you. So in other words, I didn't learn it. So from that moment onwards, it was about what can I do to entertain? What can I do to connect with an audience? Rather than look how clever I am. The trick or the method of the trick wasn't important to make me feel good, but it was um, a vehicle to get that connection with an audience and make them feel good. Yeah, that's amazing. These magicians on TV and stuff, when, that's the reason they'll be panning around to the, to the audience anyway, just to see the reactions of the other people. Exactly right, the, yeah. Because yeah. it's all about them. But that was a major lesson for me for later on when I was to become a speaker. But the big lesson overall is what can you do to serve? Yeah. How can you help people? What can you do to serve? Um, so, uh, so I became this, uh, so became, I was a qualified optician, but I was doing magic on a part-time basis. So I was okay. working at local restaurants, um, doing, uh, um, um, I was going from table to table doing little magic tricks. Uh, you've, yeah. been, you've been to dinners and you've seen magicians going from table to table. Yeah, we've organized some events before where we've actually, we had a, um, one summer we like to do a summer party and a christmas party and the summer party it was our first one we did it was a um i say a boat trip but um, we wanted to find a way of keeping all the staff together in one place so they didn't go into different groups we ended up having yeah. a barge so we had a lot of people on one barge which got a bit cozy but it, on that event and it was good we had um, a corporate magician coming around and it was amazing it Everyone is. Was, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. And it's the thing I like about I mean, I, I don't do much of it nowadays. I, I do a few little bits and pieces, uh, but just to keep my hand in. And I really enjoy doing it. But it's, it's, um, it's a way, it's, if you get the technique right, it's like making instant friends. Right, okay. Because if you, uh, if you, when you, yeah, first of all, you have to break into a group because a group will be talking. You're, the, you're paid to entertain. Yeah. So you've got to break into the, to a group somehow. There's a half a dozen people chatting away. How are you going to break into that group and make them want to watch? Yeah. So I'm also, that, isn't it? Pardon? That's quite a skill in itself. When you... well, it, well, it is, but it's, just, it's like anything else. Once you learn how to do it, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's certainly well, Where did you learn that then? Because I'd imagine if you're training to be a magician, are you getting, how did you train to be the magician and do the tricks? I was imagining you just like buy a, my no. first box of tricks. Well, you could do. That was one way of doing it. In fact, there are many mediums and vehicles. So when I learned when I learned to be a magician, because I'm still learning today, because we're forever, I still read magic books today. Right, okay. I'm interested. I'm more interested in, in mindset, because I talk about resilience. So as a speaker, I talk about resilience and managing change. Um, but I still use magic in my presentations. The thing is that in those days, the magic was a jo job, was my, the way I earned my living, whereas today it's more of a hobby, even yeah, though sure. I still use magic in my presentations. But the mediums where I learned magic was um, uh, books. Uh, there was no internet when I, when I first started. The internet yeah. didn't exist. Uh, even videos didn't exist. So it was all really books or you would buy tricks from magic dealers. 
Yeah. So that bit makes sense. So you're learning the tricks, but the the really interesting bits about how you're breaking into these groups and connecting and being the social bit when you were saying that wasn't really your strong point at the beginning either. So right. how did you learn all that? Because that's so really that was all experimentation. It was listening to uh, watching other magicians. Uh huh. But it's like anything else when it comes to presentation skills or when it comes to your presentation skills. The basic presentation skills or speaking skills are the same, but it's about you getting your authenticity and your personality across. Yeah. So I had to find a way of getting my personality across. And, and the introduction that I know, uh, oh, I don't know if you should go through the introduction, but the introduction is quite self-deprecating. Okay. Um, uh, so I would interrupt a group of people. Um, and this is funnier when it happens <laughs> because it's more nervous laughter to begin with and yeah. people can empathize. So to do it now doesn't kind of fit in. Sure. But the only line I would say something like, uh, excuse me, I, big, big smile on my face. I apologize for interrupting. Um, allow me to introduce myself. My name is John and I happen to be the entertainment for this evening. <laughs> and then I look around and I'll go and, and I'll say, well, thank you very much for making me feel looking so excited about that fact. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the nervous laugh. So I've got my first laugh and I'll say, all right, let me explain. I've been asked by Fred, whoever the CEO is, I've been asked yeah. by Dan to wander around and show everybody, everybody the worst, the absolute worst card trick I can think of. I've been racking my brains all week. This is it. It lasts three minutes and 14 seconds. And, and when I finish, um, everything after that goes uphill. <laughs> so am I all right showing you this really awful trick? Yeah. And they'll go, yeah, okay, fair enough. And then I'll do something, but I'll do something that will blow them away. But I'll make it sound like uh, it's, it's a really poor trick. I'll say, oh, right, look, I went a bit too fast there. I'm so sorry. I went a bit too, let me slow down. Let me go really slowly for you. But by this time, they've been drawn in. Yeah. So the psychology of breaking in with a group is that, first of all, I've got to be polite saying, excuse me, I apologize for interrupting. So that's basically common courtesy. Of course, yeah. Um, so I say, uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is John, and I happen to be the entertainment for this evening. And people just look at you nonplussed. And then by saying the line, well, thank you for looking so excited about that fact, gets the laugh nice. because we've broken the tension. Nice. So it's about building that rapport. And this is, I mean, I don't use that. I use the same techniques when I'm on stage, building a rapport with an audience, but a different approach, but the same. Um, so I'll then say, um, I've been asked by Fred, but I'll name somebody in authority because then they know that I'm part of that party. So I've been asked by Dan to wander around and show everybody the worst trick I can think of, the worst car trick I can think of. Now, the, think about this. The worst, you're going to show me the worst card trick that you can think of? Yeah. So the psychology now is people are kind of thinking, is this a joke? <laughs> so there's a bit of curiosity now is that, is this, all right, we want to see, we want to judge for ourselves just how bad this trick is. Because is it really, why would you come and show you as a, a really bad trick? So they don't really know at that time. But then I say, it's only going to last three minutes and 14 seconds. Why three minutes and 14 seconds? Because they don't know how long I'm going to be there for. I could be there for two days as far as they're concerned. But if I say three minutes and, if I, and also if I say I'm going to be two minutes, how long is two minutes? 
I don't know about you, but my mum, when I was a kid, used to nip next door for two minutes yeah, yeah, and come back a week on Wednesday. Yeah. So if I say three minutes and 14 seconds, they'll go, oh, this must be timed. So it's only three minutes and 14 seconds. So that was, it's a lie because I'm really reeling them in. And then I'll say, and then when I finish, uh, you'll be happy, I'll be happy. And the rest of the, uh, the evening goes uphill. So it's really self-deprecating. So I will then do something, a quick trick, uh, very slowly, something magical will happen and they'll be stunned. And then now they'll know it's not a joke, but I'll say, oh, I'm ever so sorry. I went a bit too fast because I'm very nervous. And you know what it's like when you're very nervous? I mean, my hands are not shaking or anything, but now they're in on the joke now. So we've started building the rapport and then I can get on with the routine. And I am literally there for about three or four minutes. Oh, and then by the cool. time I've finished, I'm done. And that's it. So and the first couple of times you did that, you were nervous, I'd imagine. And you... Well, the first couple of times I did that, I mean, I, I didn't use that, those particular words. So, oh, okay, it, that's like scripture. It's, it, it evolved. Yeah. And then after a while, you find the right words that will help you connect with your audience. Oh, amazing. So anyway, so... But yeah, but it's finding ways, but it's, it's the same when we're, we're meeting one-to-one -one or we're in meetings. We're finding ways of building rapport. Sure. Uh, but the normal ways of building rapport are things like, uh, to begin with, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, did you see the EastEnders or Coronation Street? Did you watch the match at the weekend? So we're building rapport when we have those kind of conversations. Um, when you're presenting, it's more of a one-sided conversation. Anyway, so, so there I was. Um, I was this optician and I did really well for seven years. I was uh, an optician during the, the day and a magician at night. And um, I was made redundant three times in the space of seven years as a magician. So I decided that I'm going to give this magic arc a go. Oh, you literally just went full tilt into magic? Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't, when I say I didn't have a choice, I wasn't happy with the way optics was going because opticians, or rather I was a dispensing optician. Dispensing opticians were becoming deregulated. Um, the, I wasn't enjoying my work um, okay. as much. There's nothing wrong with being an optician. It's just that it, it wasn't for me. Yeah, I it just wasn't giving thing. you that oomph that you wanted. Exactly right. Yeah. And I was enjoying myself doing the magic. And, um, and I was living with my parents at the time. And I said, well, I'll give this... Uh, so what, what did you, when, you, when your dad was the one saying about you wanting this, um, the like pen job and... Going down the optician yeah, route. No, he was, he freaked out. He freaked <laughs> yeah, out. I bet, yeah. He freaked out. He says, what? What are you doing? It's, well, no, he freaked out. Um, but I had a plan. And I, was, I apologize. I wasn't living with my parents at the time, but I'd only just bought a house. Okay. But I thought to myself, I'm going to give this, this magic lark a go for a year. And then what's the worst that's going to happen? I end up moving back into my, uh, back in with my parents. Yeah. So that was also a bit of an incentive. To make it work. To make it work. Yeah, sure. Um, so, and, in, and, and when I started, that was way back in 1989. So 1989, in fact, 1992 or 93, I think computers, proper computers, I'm not talking about you like your Atari programming computers, but proper computers where you could do, right, data processing and what have you. Yeah. They started coming on the scene. But before that, for me, marketing was so simple. All I needed was a, a good quality brochure and the, uh, the chutzpah uh, uh, to get on the phone. And I got uh, the yellow pages and I just went through companies in the yellow pages that I thought might hire a magician for their parties. Okay. 
Yeah. So I'd phone companies up saying, do you have a, a Christmas party? Are you having a celebration? Or, or and, and, that's, and that's the way I went about it. Cold calling, wow. Well, exactly. And it was so easy in those days because I was the person, I'd phone up first of all to find out if they ever used entertainment and then I'd send them the, the information. And then I built up a database that way. Um, so, wow. so that was great. And in 12 years, I built up my business where I was working for nearly half of the blue chip companies in the UK. And uh, so I was being flown up and down the country. Entertain I was entertaining their top executive boards. I was entertaining their top clients. Um, I was being flown around Europe. I was an awesome. I was on exhibition stands where you've seen, I don't know if you've ever seen a magician on the edge of an exhibition stand. I where, haven't actually, no, we've done a couple, but I've never even thought of having a magician on the end. But. Right. Well, the way, the way there were several ways of working it. So I would, um, in those days before nine 11, cause things changed in those days, it was easy to get a big crowd around the stand. So okay. I might get 60, 70, 80 people around a stand. And by, by doing a magic trick, I would promote the product or service of my clients yeah and then the reps the sales reps would wander around the uh, the the crowd at about looking at the badges and then when i finished my presentation they'd pick them off one by one to talk to them yeah um then uh, then i developed ways of being on the edge of a stand where i'd stop individuals as they walked by or a couple of people as they walked by and then i'd qualify them really really quick to find out if they were interested in my clients products or services and then get them on the stand and i and, in, and i generated I must have been millions of pounds worth of leads for my clients. But I was also involved in conferences where a co uh, uh, an organization um, would um, hire me to, um, uh, it might be a product launch. So Coates Viella, uh, I did a product launch for them with the magic of thread. So all I did a half hour presentation about how good the quality of these threads that they had to their clients. Um, or they might say, right, come in. We want you to talk about team building. Now I didn't know anything about team building, but they would give me, this is what we want you to say. Right. Okay. And I would write the script, uh, do the, and then put the tricks together for the presentation and go in and do the presentation. So you must have rehearsed a lot oh, yeah, yeah. with magic. Is it all about rehearse, rehearse, rehearse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so I would rehearse. I mean, so for, and I still do this today and, uh, and, uh, and I recommend this to, Everybody, you don't, in those days, I learned it verbatim, word for word. It was a script. Yeah. Today, you, I still write things down and I go over it half a dozen times, but only to familiarize myself with it. Yeah, sure. And to make but sure I don't natural. go through it. Yeah, I don't want to go word by word, but I still rehearse it. So I've got a, a small bedroom and I stand there and I pretend in my mind, I've got a conference coming up, say, I know that there are 200 people at this conference. I know they're going to be sat, sat cabaret style, for instance. So in my head, I'm imagining this audience and that I'm on a stage. Has that taken I, practice, John, from a visualization perspective to picture the amount of... Yeah, so yeah. You, you, when you're in your room, you can genuinely... Genuine, yeah, genuine in my head. These people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're there. I can see them smiling. I can see them nodding their heads. Amazing. I can see them. Uh, I can I can get my timing right and everything yeah. else. So, so in my imagination, that's it. And if I make a mistake, depending on uh, um, or how far I am with the rehearsal, in the first few rehearsals, I might make a mistake, and I'll stop and start again or whatever, or go through that bit again. But then later on, if I make a mistake, I will carry on. 
Because if you've made a mistake while you're doing it, while I was doing it, yeah, of course. But yeah. then I will cover it. Yeah. When I say cover it, you know, I mean, I don't need to cover it because there's nobody there. But I will think, okay, how do I get out of this? Because it could easily happen on the day. Because it can happen on the day. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. So I'm, I'm big on visualization and things like that. Yeah. And anyway, so um, so, so I, I was doing really, really, really well. Um, so, and, but in 2002, I had a, a really massive, massive crisis in confidence because there were several things that happened. Now, in, when I deliver my, my keynotes, um, I'd say that it was about, uh, it was the fact that I, and this was part of the reason, that I, I did three presentations in a row, which in my opinion were not all that good. Okay. In my opinion, yeah, they were not all that good, and uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but I know this now. But at the time, so let's say, for instance, you do um, uh, your present. Let's say that you score yourself out of ten for a presentation, and the way ten is you're getting standing ovations, and one is that you're absolutely awful. Food off so, stage, yeah. So in my opinion, I was getting like nines and tens out of ten. I was doing really, really well. But then I did three that was like eight out of 10. Okay. So the client thought I was great, but in my mind, I let the client down because I, made a, I didn't deliver the best that I could and I wasn't giving them the value that I, that I promised in my own head. You know, all these things were going on in, in my head. And so that happened the first time and then you did another one and another one and it was that's right and then the belief kind of created that yeah. well, this is, I, can't, I can't do this anymore and it's got to be certain uh, in certain circumstances so i've got to be honest every time i present it's always got to be on a stage i can't be on the flat i've always got to have a microphone uh, it's always got to, the, the audience has been sat in a certain way so i started and i wouldn't i wasn't a diva or anything but whenever i got inquiries if it was something slightly unusual, instead of working my way around it and saying, yes, I can do this, or I've not done that before, this is how we might do it. Yeah. I would say, no, I'm not going to do it because I was scared stiff of letting down my clients. Yeah. So if I did have a saving grace, at least it wasn't that I was going after the money. It was, oh. it was for honorable in, intentions, if you like, yeah. but skew if, and and that really didn't, in hindsight, I now know that did not serve my clients. Quite the opposite, isn't it? Exactly. Because what I should have done was had a conversation with them. Yeah. Because there's been times, I've since learned, I've had people go, we want you to do this, this, and this. And I've gone, well, okay, well, let's think about this. I've not done this before, but what if we did this, this, and, and then between us, we worked something out that was probably better than what both of us could have thought of on our own. Yeah. Um, so it's about being open and honest. But at that time, it was, no, it's got to be in a certain way. Um, and I didn't serve myself because I was losing business and I was barely surviving. Uh, so my business went downhill and I didn't really know uh, if I was a magician, if it was a whatever, I don't know. But around about 2002, 2003, I joined the Professional Speaking Association. Okay. So I wasn't really a speaker. Yeah. But somebody said, why don't you join? Because they saw me do these tailored presentations and uh, and in the psa the uh, somebody there and this was a turning point in my life said you should read psycho cybernetics by maxwell maltz i have read it yeah so that was about 2003 and i'm going mm, okay fair enough and i read it and i realized and that was the book that made me realize right 
it's about what goes on in our heads that determines whether we are successful or not. Yeah. And if we are not successful, it can at the very least help with giving you peace of mind so that you can cope with all the stresses and everything. So, because um, the stories in there were fascinating. And that's when I started reading loads of self-help books. Um, I started, uh, I looked into a couple of religions. I wasn't, I'm not a religious person. Sure. But I looked at a couple of religions because I was in, because with religions, the mainstream religions, it's a lot of them, it's about the way you think. Because yeah. if you look at the Bible, it's a, essentially, it's like, a, it's a self-help book because it's got all those lessons in there. This is how you should behave. So it's all, it's got all that teachings in there, in, in there as well. Um, in fact, that was probably the very first self-help book, I guess, <laughs> if you yeah, think about right. it, or maybe, no, or the Quran or something, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I, look, I looked very much into spirituality. So we're yep. very big into spirituality. Um, and I looked at NLP, I studied NLP, a little bit of neuroscience. And the thing that I found was, and I wasn't thinking of becoming a speaker. This was for my own self-development. Yeah. Because I was wondering, why is it that one minute I'm on a stage in front of, it was about six, seven, eight, nine hundred people in one go, and I'm flying high in this business. And the next minute, I wasn't a nervous wreck, but I was certainly overcautious and I was not as confident. Yeah. So what's going on here? Um, and the realization later on came that once I fixed myself, and by the way, I'm still a work in progress. Everyone is. Yeah. Still a work in progress. So don't let, don't let me kid you that oh, I've got it all sorted out. No, it's really common. Like from the people I've been speaking to, everyone's in this similar, similar. Well, yeah, we are. Yeah. Because the realization was once I fixed myself, I could fix others. Yeah. Or at the very least, whatever I learn that helps me now will help others. Yeah. Because I thought I don't, I would hate for anybody else to go through the, it, it wasn't clinical depression, but it was the loneliness. It was the uh, feeling down, it was all those horrible negative feelings and I'm a loner by the way so I'm not proud of that fact and I'm not ashamed of it it's just what it is okay so, so lockdown that we're in at the moment if it wasn't for the fact that I've got to pay bills this suits me great <laughs> I'm completely the opposite <laughs> I love being around people I definitely get something out of that but I also get a kick out of helping people and yeah. being on stage so it's so that's great so and, and I do need to interact with people um, I wouldn't like to be on my own all the time. Sure. So the um, so the the biggest learning that I had when I was looking at all the the religion, spirituality, the self help books, the business books, and everything else, I realised that they were all when it came to mindset, when it came to how you think, how you live your life, how you build resilience, how you become resilient, how you manage change, how you manage uncertainty. All the basic principles are the same in each discipline they're just called different things so as an example if you are religious there is prayer yeah if you're spiritual there's meditation Meditating. if you're an agnostic there's reflection if you're in business there's visualization or you're a sports person you're in visualization yeah if you've got uh, if you're suffering stress and you go to the doctor they'll, they'll probably prescribe or at least suggest that you try mindfulness what do all these things have in common? It's about being still. Yeah. It's about being quiet. Okay, the techniques might be slightly different, but they're all basically the same thing, except they're using different words. 
So I realized that depending who you talk to, you have to change your language. Yeah. So you can still get that message across. So if I'm talking to a religious person, I say, all right, do you pray? If I'm on stage and I'm doing a corporate gig, I say, right, let's talk about visualization. Or, um, so, um, so yeah, so because I learned, um, so then it ran about 2000 and... Just really quick, out of all those books, so, uh, as well as the psycho-cybernetics, um, is there any other books like that you've read that you really would recommend? Is there one that jumps out at all? The, the reason that why, oh, cracky, there are, I'm going to say there are loads, loads of books. Yeah. I tend to read a lot of spiritual books. I tend to forget the books, but I okay. remember the, I'll tell you one book in particular that you should read, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, and I've read it several times. Yeah, yeah that's a definite. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, There's a couple uh, of, of, from the Napoleon Hill, isn't there? He's done Outwitting the Devil, which is a good one as well. I assume. Yeah, I've not, I've not read that one, but I'll have okay. to look at that one. Uh, another one which uh, kind of got me onto the path of how I use my brain is The Science of Growing Rich. Sorry, The th Science of... Yeah, The Science of Growing Rich by Wallace Wattles. Wallace, Wallace D. Wattles. Wallace D. Wattles, yeah? Yeah. It's not a big book either, is it? That's quite a small little book to read. Yeah, it's about yeah. 100 pages or 90. Yeah, I've read that one several times as well, actually. And it's not about, just for people listening, it's not no. about being rich as in just financially abundant. That's right. It's about just rich in life in general, isn't it? Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, amazing. Because there are different, uh, different uh, definitions of wealth. So, um, so yeah, so right about 10 years ago, uh, 2008 was the big recession. So once again, I went, downhill again a little bit I had a bit of a wobble uh learned some lessons but around about 2010 um somebody uh to, and i forget the the company said why don't you come in and talk to our sales you're a success aren't you why don't you come and talk to our salespeople and motivate them inspire them and i'm thinking and i said hang on a second i'm driving a battered volkswagen I'm, bat I'm battering my head against the wall here. I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. I do have kind of peace of mind and, yep. but because I've learned all these things. But how am I a success? And he said, well, you keep going. And I thought, well, I suppose under that definition, <laughs> I suppose I am kind of a success because I keep going, I stay focused and, and I keep going. That's that resilience again, isn't it? Exactly. That, that's the, exactly. So, so I was saying, how do you, do, how you kind of do that kind of thing? So I put together this talk and, um, and it went really, really well. And I thought there might be something in this and I might be able to help others. And it's using my core skill of being on a stage. Uh, I can do magic in there as well. I can entertain. I can have fun in there. Yeah. It's audience participation. You're passionate about what you're talking about. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's so it's, it's 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 all those things. And and like I said, it's it's not that I'm quali. I don't have any have any qualifications like a university degree or anything like that. Yeah. But I think people listen because I've got at the moment I've got about about 180 recommendations on LinkedIn, and I'm amazed at those. And I think it's because I'm just an ordinary guy. And like I said, the only battle I have is the one with myself. Sure. It's not even the hardest battle. <laughs> well, it is. It's the, the, and the ongoing battle. one. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and now the re I know the reason why that battle is happening. Yeah. Uh, and that's the reason why I've, I can get to peace of mind quicker. I mean, it's still, I still feel those 
uh, emotions. So, for instance, when we had lockdown, you know, when it was announced, I still went through for about a week, a week and a half, uh, not depression, but feeling really, really down. Okay. And it's the end of the world. What am I going to do now? What it is? And and I knew, right, okay, so I'll explain this. When we experience change, oh, we've, got, we've got enough time. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's no strict time, we, yeah. All right, because when we experience change, we, there's, um, I think I mentioned this to you last time, we go through several emotions. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a Swiss-American uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, in 1969, published a book about grieving, grief. Okay. And what we experience when we grieve. And the emotions we go through when we grieve. And, and since then, there are one or two emotions that have been added. But the basic emotional journey that we go through is also the same emotional journey we go through when we experience change. Because if you think about it, we experience the death of one circumstance. Sure, so, for yeah. instance, with COVID-19, we experience the death of the world as we knew it before. Yeah. And we're now going into a new a birth of a new world. We don't know what that is just yet. Oh, as of this recording. Yeah. But, it's, but at the beginning, we have these emotions because of the show. So first of all, you have shock. Oh, I can't believe it. What's going on? I can't, it's, I can't believe it. So there's that initial shock. Yeah. Then we have that denial. Oh, it's, it's not happening. It's, oh, you've got to be joking. I'm looking outside the window. Everything seems to be calm outside. But on the news, there's people walking around and running around like headless chickens. What, what is going on exactly? It's, yeah. it's not happening. Then you have anger. Right. It's not I can't believe it. I can't, how could the government do this? Or how could, I can't believe the idiots. How yeah. could they get us into, or we blame ourselves. It's my fault. If only I'd have saved up more money. If I'd have saved up more, if I didn't spend that to get, I'd have been in a much better position as I am now. Then we go through despair. Yeah. So it's the end of the world. I don't know what to do now. Uh, this is it. I've had enough. Bye. Just, I'm just curling up. I'm not interested. I'm staying in bed. Because if I get out of bed, the world's just going to beat me up. I'm not yeah. interested. And then we eventually come around to acceptance. So acceptance is not, I'm now happy with this situation. Acceptance is, okay, here I am. So what am I going to do about this? Am yeah. I going to just go along with the floor and whatever happens, happens? Or am I going to try and work out a plan of some sort? What am I going to do? So you've, you've accepted it. You're trying to work your way through. Now, because I know about that uh, cycle, the trick is to get to acceptance as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right? Because I'm laughing because like all, the, all the, the, the stages you just went through, I think, I, for one, have definitely gone like the shock, denial, anger, despair, and acceptance all the well, way yeah. through. And yeah. I'm ridiculously positive and optimistic, but still exactly. I've gone through all those at some point. Yeah. And so am I. And so am I. And because I realize that we have to go... And I realized that the important thing that we need to do is to honor our emotions. So if we feel like crying, if we're upset, cry. Even, I'm not ashamed to admit, there are times when I've fallen on my knees and sobbed like a baby. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. this is it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Not, not COVID-19, thankfully, but in, uh, in, in times gone by, sure. I've fallen on my knees. Because now, because of the tools that I've got, like I said, I'm still a work in progress, but it makes it easier. Yeah, most definitely. And you use the tools. 
Um, so the, if you need to, if you need to have a laugh for some reason, just out loud, then do it. If you need to stamp your foot, whatever it is that you need to do emotionally, do not bottle it up. Yeah. And that's why I like this whole movement around mental health in general. Absolutely. And you've got to find your way of releasing that as long as you don't hurt. I mean, if you're going to hit somebody, no, that's the wrong way. (laughs) No, but some people do. Yeah, you still need to express it somehow, but yeah, probably not hitting someone else. Exactly right. So you've got to be careful how you do it. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, if you, if you feel like throwing things around, then buy, go to the market. Well, you can't now, but if, go to the market, get old plates, and throw them on the floor or something like yeah. that. Or, you know, if that's what you need to do. Yeah. As long as you're not hurting anybody or damaging anything, but if you need to cry or whatever it is, or talk to somebody or whatever it is. But the other trick, the other trick is also to recognise that. If you're staying in those areas too long, in that emotion too long. So, for instance, um, if you are in despair, you don't want to be in despair for the rest of your life. There's sure. got to be there's got to be a time you've got to let that go. Yeah. Um, so, and that's different for everybody. But I know that with myself, I mean, if I'm experiencing change, normally it's like in a day, I've got over it. A few hours ago with COVID-19 it's taken me a week and a half because that is global yeah because the thing that was going on in my head is that when it's just me that's in trouble it's like well everybody else is all right so I have hope because everybody else is all right so if everybody else is all right I must be able to achieve that yeah that's a good point because if whatever but if everybody else is in bother hang on a minute right who have I got to follow? Who have I, yeah, who yeah. Who's going to lead? Yeah. And for me, I decided that the person that's going to lead me is me. Is you. In nice. COVID-19. Okay. I've still got a lot of thinking to do and working out on what I'm going to do. Cause like everybody else, I've got my challenges. Uh, I mean, at the moment, at the moment I've got no business whatsoever because my business is, is in front of audiences being on stage. Yeah. I've got to change. So um, I'm now feeling kind of excited and, and scared in equal measure because scared, am I up to this? Can I do this? And that's okay to think like that because it's, I don't want to let my clients down again. Yeah. But by the same token, I'm excited because I want to learn some new skills out of this. Yeah, loads of opportunities will come. And, and, and there are opportunities as yeah. well. So now, will I survive it? I don't know, but the chances, the odds are phenomenally in my favor, because if you think about it, we've all experienced crisis before. All of us, if you're 15 years old, you might not have experienced a crisis, but usually if it's that you've lost a loved one, if it's that you've lost your job, if it's that whatever it might be, a relationship is, but we've had some sort of crisis in our lives before. Yeah. There's been the recession and everything else and we've got through it. We've not experienced this crisis before. But the odds are in our favor that we will get. Now, we might not like the result we get when we get through it. In other words, we might end up with fewer possessions. Yeah. And we might not like that. We might end up with losing some loved ones. I don't know. We, we won't like that. So there might be things that we don't like about the new reality, whatever that's going to be. But at least we will survive and we can be happy. Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, hearing you talk, you're, you're definitely not in the despair camp, are you? And you're looking at acceptance and what next. And by the so way, it, it will be successful. 
Yeah, yeah, it will be. But by the way, it's also possible that you can go back, even though you've got acceptance, you can still go back into despair and denial every so often. Yeah. But you come back into acceptance a lot quicker. Quicker, yeah. Big shock out of the way. That makes sense. So. Ah, fascinating. So that was it. And then, and that's how I became, and then a speaker. And now, now you've got to evolve and adapt quickly. Look at the new opportunities that come your way and go from there. Well, exactly. Yeah. So I'm developing uh, online, um, what is it, online courses. So online offerings. Okay. So if people are kind of interested in uh, that, because even, even people that are in furlough or people that have, uh, are working from home, I mean, now is the time when they need their resilience. Okay. Now is the time when they need to know about managing change and get their heads in the right place so that they can focus. Yeah. And so how do people, if you're doing those courses, John, how do people reach out to you and have a look at these courses? And Well, they, well okay, they can either reach out to me on LinkedIn or okay. my website, which is all the W's dot hatalka.co.uk. So Hatalka is H-O-T-O-W-K-A. That's yeah. .co.uk. And, uh, or, or through my website, or, or they can call me. Amazing. Um, I'll yeah. put all your details anyway in like yeah, yeah. the show notes and we can go from there. So, wow. That was fascinating. I really Thank appreciate you. your time, John. That was great. I wasn't sure where it was going to go. I, with I, you. Was bored I was bored because I've heard it all before. <laughs> That's how I feel when I talk about Orian when we were actually going out to see customers. But you, uh, isn't, it's not telling that story again, that old thing. Yeah, no. you genuinely like doing it though. It's exactly the same as me. It, well, I must admit, past- I, haven't done, I haven't told my story before. This is what's coming out of this so much because um, people I'm talking to have done um, or they've been involved with several podcasts in the before or interviews and things like that. And it tends to always be about what they're doing in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And what I've they're doing bits. right now. I've yeah, no one's really talked story. about how they've got on this journey. So Yeah, yeah. I've, done, done, I've told bits about my story yeah. to illustrate various points, but I've never kind of said, right, this is what, this is what happened. But yeah, no. Well, thanks for sharing. It's been no, great. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thanks very much, John. Yes, thank and, you again. Uh, uh, be in touch soon. And I look forward to that. Yeah, and all the best is. and good luck to all of us. Yeah, most definitely. Cheers. Stay guys. safe, everybody. Bye. Okay, bye.